Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 138 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features a former photographer turned SEO and marketing expert, Maria Grace. Maria and I had a wonderful conversation and explored several interesting topics that I think you'll find relevant as a landscape uh, or nature photographer, including search engine optimization or SEO. And we talked a lot about keyword research, image resizing, uh, Google Analytics, blogging, uh, different SEO tools, and, and a lot more. Uh, over on Patreon this week, Maria gives us tons of tips on how to succeed on the Instagram platform. There are so many useful nuggets there. It is worth checking out. So if you want it to be kind of take your Instagram to the next level, definitely check that out on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash f-stop and listen. Before we get started, I wanted to update you on our really wonderful partnership with Nature Photographers Network or NPN. NPN is the premier community for landscape and nature photographers. On NPN, you can interact with some of the top names in the industry, get honest and thoughtful critiques on your images, and read some of the most engaging and stimulating articles on the web that relate to our craft. Better yet, listeners of the podcast can get a 60-day free trial of NPN. Just follow the link in the liner notes. Okay, let's get to the show. Well, Maria Grace, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's funny. You actually um, discovered my podcast through some random Facebook group you're in. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you must have super fans and you don't even know it. But I was in a Facebook group and somebody asked for podcast recommendations and I was kind of scrolling through because I love podcasts and I saw yours and it just kind of piqued my interest because of the name. And so, yeah, that's my roundabout way of finding your podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I would love for you to maybe kind of just introduce yourself and and why should our listeners be excited for you to be on the show? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Um, yeah, my name is Maria Grace. My business is Maria Grace LLC. And for the last six years, it's actually been Maria Grace Photography. I've been a wedding and portrait photographer mainly and in this last year, I've really transitioned from photography being my kind of bread and butter to online marketing for small businesses, which often includes photographers, but then it often doesn't. And I've just noticed a lot of crossover with where small businesses, entrepreneurs, creatives in general could be doing a lot of stuff better. And a lot of times they just don't know it. So I love helping people and just giving them kind of that light bulb moment that really propels their marketing. So hopefully I can do that for your listeners. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm, I'm curious, what was it about photography that made you jump ship and go into marketing instead? You know, there wasn't, there wasn't anything bad. I still love it and I still take pictures and I've still got a few weddings coming up next year. Um, I never got to the point where I didn't like it. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted to leave is because by no means am I the most successful photographer ever. I mean, I'm guessing most people haven't heard of me who are listening to this podcast. 
but I felt like I had succeeded to the point I wanted to. And the, the one thing that was very draining was giving up my weekends as a wedding photographer. Right. And so I had always had opportunities to do small business marketing on the side where people would come and say, Hey, you clearly know how to run an Instagram page. You know, can you help me out? And so I'd always kind of done that on the side. And once I started talking about that out loud, I was just kind of inundated with clients, which I didn't really expect. So the transition happened quicker than I thought it would. I kind of thought I'd be doing photography mainly for a couple more years. And this year really pivoted probably within about two to three months. Wow, that's amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I still feel a little bit taken aback by it, but it's been great. All right. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the things that you're really interested in and have a lot of knowledge about that, that I'm hoping you can share with our listeners is search engine optimization or SEO. Yes, that is one of my favorite topics and honestly always has been. i I can nerd out on it and I don't nerd out on very much. So <laughs> And yeah. hopefully we didn't just lose like half the listeners like, oh I know, they're like, Oh, I was excited. <laughs> no longer I promise this is relevant. If you have a website, want a website, have a blog, anything. Yeah. I, this will help you for sure. No, I, I agree. I think I think I mean if if you have any any idea on uh, I guess even if it's not monetization, if it's just like wanting people to know who you are, see your work or really anything like SEO is critical. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just something it seems so daunting, I think, because even the name is daunting. And I used to think that when I first started doing research, I really wanted to dive in and I was a little intimidated. But the more I looked, I don't want to say it's easy, but I would say it's fairly simple to do some basic things that can really help you. Um, so it's not something to be afraid of and it's definitely something you can pursue, but not pour your whole life into. You can still be a photographer and have good SEO at the same time. Yeah. And I guess we should probably be clear as to like what the power of SEO is. I mean, basically it's if someone's searching for the product or thing that you have on your website, SEO helps it show up at the top of Google or whatever search engine people are using. Absolutely. And one of the really powerful things too, is that a lot of times when people are searching for something that might not directly have to do with your service or product, they will still be able to stumble across you. And that's something I found over and over. As an example, as I mentioned, I was a wedding photographer. And so I would um, put pictures and write words about the weddings that I shot on my blog. And people who weren't necessarily looking, you know, sitting down and searching Hampton Roads, that's where I am in Virginia, Hampton Roads wedding photographer, they might find my photography because they're looking up weddings at this particular venue and trying to see what it looks like. And oh, all of a sudden they come across, hopefully what they believe is a really beautiful wedding. And I got a lot of inquiries that way. So it doesn't even always directly have to relate with what you do to be really helpful to your Mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So gosh, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with... um... Maybe just like a quick primer on kind of the uh, the kind of main elements that drive SEO. Yeah, so there's several different elements and some of them sound more intimidating and some of them are a little bit easier. So I'll dive down into the ones that really everyone can understand. Um, there's several different elements. So basically, and I'll use Google, it's really any search engine, but nobody uses Bing. So I'll just say Google. <laughs> um, so basically, Google is trying to make their user's life as easy as possible. And what I mean by that is that they want someone to come to their site, 
search for something, they find it in the very top, they get their answer, and then they leave. They don't want someone having to come to Google and hunt and hunt and hunt. And so what you're doing is you're making sure everything on your website is friendly to Google and to the user experience. So that starts with some things like what is the name of your website, which is called the meta title. Um, if you have something really random or just your business name that nobody really knows, it's going to be a lot less searchable than if you have, you know, the product you offer, the service you provide. And then it goes down a little bit deeper in there. So a lot of it comes down to the content, which is where the bread and butter of SEO really is. And that's the words you're putting on your page, the images you're putting on your page, you know, what you're naming the images. And then there's other things like having a sitemap, which is really built into a lot of modern website development these days. So that's something most people don't have to worry about, but it is something to check on. It's making sure you have your meta tags and descriptions. Um, and I'm just, I know I'm rattling a lot of stuff off and I'm happy to dive deep into any of it, but those are just some some of the core elements, just making sure your website is as friendly to the user on Google as possible so they will favor it. Yeah, and I think it's it's tricky too, right? Because, um, you know, you everyone obviously has a home page, but then there's mm -hmm. also like all of the other pages on your website and all of your homepage and mm -hmm. all of those other pages are ideally going to have completely different content and also completely different keywords and mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. So I guess let's, let's, let's dive in and talk about uh, keywords. Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of the easiest things to do that a lot of people just don't do. And it really starts before Google and before SEO in drilling down to who your ideal customer is. So the reason you want to do that is because figuring out your ideal customer will allow you to figure out what content you're creating and how you want people to find you. And then you can just go from there. So if you're just kind of like doing a spray and pray with your content, like I'm just going to put out everything and hopefully somebody will find me. <laughs> it, it might help you. Um, you know, you might get some random results, but if you are able to focus in on, okay, you know, for me, it was, I'm going to market to brides mainly in Virginia and so I'm going to talk about issues that are relevant to them and look up keywords that are going to be relevant to them. It really drives your content. So the first thing with SEO and really with a lot of business is figuring out who you're talking to. And then when you do create the content, don't just create it. Don't just write whatever. And I'm not saying like never have a personal post, never write what's on your heart. But when you're talking about the targeted business content that you're creating, make sure you're doing a little bit of keyword research before you start. So what does that look like? I mean, am I like, let's say that I want people to find me because they're looking for, they're looking for photography workshops in Iceland. So, and I don't Please, teach photography workshops in Iceland, but let's say if you start, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> let's pretend I did. So, so, so if I'm, you know, if I'm a photographer looking for a workshop in Iceland, I'm probably going to search like photography workshop Iceland. I mean, I'm just guessing like that's what you're going to put in Google. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a few things you can do with that. There's two tools that are really great. One of them is really easy and the other one you guys might not know about yet. So the really great one is called Moz. That's M-O-Z keyword explorer. And if I'm butchering the pronunciation, <laughs> That's I, okay. please forgive me, but Moz Keyword Explorer. 
And it's a free tool. You have to create an account, but it is a free tool. And basically you can type in like, okay, you know, I don't really know all the keywords, but I know I'm having this photography workshop in Iceland. So you might type out, you know, workshop photography in Iceland or some combination, and they will show you a bunch of relevant keywords to what you're looking at. And you do have to do a little bit of work in looking through them because they might not all be 100% what you want to focus on. But that will give you a really good framework for how to write your content when you're talking about promoting that. And then the other really easy tool that is quick and I use it all the time is Google itself. And what I mean by that is if you go to Google and type in, you know, Iceland Photography Workshop or Photography Workshop near me, if you scroll all the way to the bottom for most searches for the ones with a lot of results, you're going to see that Google actually gives a whole bunch of suggestions for what other people are searching for that are related to that same topic. And then you can use that to drive ah, okay. what keywords you're using and what content you're creating. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny that they kind of give you the answers that you're looking for if you just scroll to the bottom. So, so, so not only does it um, tell you kind of other related searches, but it sounds like the Moz Keyword Explorer also kind of tells you the types of things you're going to want to put in any content that's mm -hmm. going to be either a landing page or your homepage that's related to whatever that thing is. Right. So when you're writing anything from a sales page to a blog to even just a short description, you want to keep two things in mind. The, the very top thing is keep in mind that you're speaking to humans. So a common mistake a lot of people make is they're like, okay, great. I went to Moz. I went to Google. I have all these keywords. And then they write this paragraph that sounds like a robot wrote it. You know, my photography workshop in Iceland is the best photography workshop in Iceland. If you are looking for workshop photography workshops and, you know, <laughs> something like that, like yeah, yeah. people do not write that way. And yet people do end up writing that way. So you really want to keep in mind the user. So if somebody comes to your site, is it going to sound like a normal human wrote it? Is it going to sound like you wrote it? But from there, you don't have to stop. You can integrate the keywords in there. So, you know, I might go to someone's website who I'm doing marketing for and they're telling their story and, you know, they're like, I started five years ago and just built this business from the ground up and they write all this stuff and then you read it back and you're like, okay, you didn't mention your business. You didn't mention your location. And so things like that are pretty easy to add in. Mm -hmm. So for example, you could say, you know, I'm Matt and I'm super passionate about teaching landscape photography, I'm so excited to host this photography workshop in Iceland. And that's a much more natural way to incorporate it. And then you just think about that with the keywords and you're not going to fit them all in by any means. You can't fit in like every single city in Iceland, but you might be able to fit in the main one. Or if you're going to a really famous landmark, you'd probably be able to mention that. I'm so excited to go out to I don't know landmarks in Iceland. Why did you, <laughs> you chose Iceland? I feel like I could have done anywhere else. Well, there's anyway, a, let's see. If there's, anyone there's, knows Iceland see, there's landmarks. Vic. Um, there's, uh, I can't even pronounce half of them myself, so never mind. <laughs> there you go. Iceland's a terrible It is kind of, but that's okay. Um, but I think, I think people get the gist. So you're looking for those big things that are, both relevant to you and what you're doing and also relevant to people who find your page. So if somebody finds your page by looking up the content that you created, are they going to be interested or is it going to have nothing to do with right. what they want? And so you kind of just want to keep keyword um, exploration in mind and make sure to do that before you start running your content 
but don't just type in a bunch of keywords for your content and let that cut it because Google is smart enough. I don't know how, but they will also figure that out and they will kind of push you even further down than if you write like a normal human <laughs> nice. being. So let's say uh, you've written your content for your article or your landing page or your homepage, whatever, and you've got all the, the, the main keywords that you want to cover that you found through Moz. Mm-hmm. What do you do next in terms of uh, writing a good title, um, adding a meta description, and then also adding keywords um, to the back end? Yeah, that's a great question. So your top keyword is going to be what's in the meta title. Um, so, you know, it would be really easy to do for this example. Your meta title would be photography workshop in Iceland or it might be better to name the specific city just depending on how wide your reach is and where people are going to be searching. So that would kind of drive the title is that very top thing that you want to be known for, for that particular event or product or service. And then your description is going to be, as I just mentioned, kind of the human element of writing in complete sentences, making sure the content is captivating while you fit in some extra keywords. So you already have the photography workshop in Iceland. So it's not like you can't mention that again, but maybe you want to use some other keywords filtered into the description to just give it a little bit of variety. And then with meta tags, that kind of puts your content in categories. So, you know, some tags on my particular wedding blog might have been wedding photography or business advice or personal posts. And every website backend is a little bit different as to how you add in the meta tags and make sure that the website is pulling specifically your meta titles and descriptions. But like with WordPress, there's plugins you can install. With Squarespace, it's pretty easy to do. And with a lot of websites, they know the importance of SEO. And so they try to make it really easy. So you just kind of want to incorporate a variety of those keywords throughout, but make sure your number one keyword is going to be in your title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then um, what about... Uh... What about photos? So I know that um, one of, the, at least back when I researched SEO, like way back in the day, um, one of the things that I learned was that it's important to add um, alt data to any images that are in your article and make sure that that alt data includes mm-hmm. like keywords that are relevant to where those photos are at. Yes. So this is um, exactly what you said. It's similar to what you're thinking about with the keyword research. So before you upload your images to your website, there's two things you want to do. The first thing, as we just mentioned, is renaming your images. And again, we're not just trying to name every single image photography workshop in Iceland. <laughs> like if that's if that's what the picture is, if you have archived photos, great. Name one or two of your images at that, but make sure you're giving a little variety. But if the picture is of some beautiful, unknown apparently site in Iceland that we will one day discover... Um, then name it that because as people are searching through Google Google image search or whatever image search, then they will come across your content and naming the image is going to be really big and it's something a lot of Mm -hmm. people skip. So the first thing you want to do is name your image. The second thing, and some of you might already know this, you also want to make sure your images are resized appropriately. So one big killer in Google rankings is if your website is super slow and cumbersome and it takes forever for the images to load. Um, I've read a variety of numbers around this, but one of the 
one of the averages I've heard is that people will wait no longer than eight seconds for your page to load. And I thought that was crazy at first. I thought, man, everyone's just so impatient, you know, these millennials that I'm a part of. Um, and then I went to a website and I counted eight seconds and I thought, wow, I would totally navigate it away if they didn't, you know, if the website didn't load. So you want to make sure your images aren't taking forever to load. And so a really easy tool you can use, a lot of you might be super familiar with Lightroom or Photoshop, and those are great tools to use. If you don't have any of those, or if you just want something else, if you go to pickresize.com, so P-I-C resize.com, then they will give you some automatic tools where you can upload one image or you can upload up to 100 images at once and you can resize them appropriately and just make sure that they're not going to bog down your website. And a general rule of thumb, it, it depends a little bit based on the application. You know, if you have this like full page photo, it'll probably be a little bit different than if you have a teeny tiny thumbnail image of your you know profile picture. But general rule of thumb, I would say you want the long edge to be about 1500 pixels and you want to make sure it's at 72 DPI. Um, you don't need to add full resolution pictures to websites because they're not going to load and it'll just slow it down. So I would just use that as a basic rule of thumb and then tweak and adjust from there. Yeah, another tool that I've heard about is JPEG Mini. It like compresses it really nicely. Okay. Because it, it kind of encodes it at a, like it's a really smart um, compression um, it's better than Photoshop, I guess, but uh, I've, I've heard pretty good things about that as well. Oh, I will definitely have to check that one out. I haven't heard of it yet. Yeah. Um, cool. So it's it's interesting. I heard someone asked the other day a question on Twitter, like, do you like do you name your photos um, or do you just like call them like image two or image three? And I, I told them like, yeah, I name all my images because of because of SEO. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you. And I did notice that you, on all your blogs, you're also changing the the URL tag, which is um, basically the words after your .com or whatever it is, slash. And then um, for, you know, Matt, I think one of the things you had was like autumn photography in Colorado or something. So you had like autumn-photography-in-Colorado. Yeah. Sounds very cumbersome. It's not that hard to type, but that's another great thing that you are doing on your own website. And I'm sure you learned that from somebody who knows SEO well. Um, and again, it's just kind of going back to how are people going to find you? And Google does look at your URL. It looks at your images. It looks at your meta titles and descriptions. And it looks at it as a complete picture to make sure you're providing what's relevant to the user. So those yeah. are all great things. <laughs> well done. Thanks. Well done. I was... I don't know. I did a lot of research like way back in like, 2007 when I built my first website. So it just kind of stuck, I guess. But Man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things I wanted to ask you about um, in, in regards to keywording and kind of research is uh, like, what, what would you say about researching your competitors? Like if I like if I wanted to rank number one at, um, we'll just stick with our Iceland example, Iceland photography workshops. And I Googled Iceland photography workshops and I saw like there was 20 results higher than me on Google rank. Like, mm -hmm. would you recommend going to their websites and seeing how they keyworded and wrote their articles or like, what would you, how would you use your competitors information to help kind of edge you up the list? 
Yes. Or would you? Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing to look at every once in a while. It's not something to obsess over or visit all the time because there there's things you can see and then there's things you can't. So the things you can see is, are they using URL tags? Are they naming their images? A lot of times you can either right click on the image and save it and see what they're naming it. Or you can go into the coding a little bit and see how they're naming their images. And then you can also see what kind of content they're creating. And um, it might spark an idea. Obviously, you don't want to copy. You don't want to do exactly what they're doing. And that won't help you anyways. But if you see them give five tips on, you know, a particular getting to a particular place in Iceland and maybe your workshops at a different place, you might think, okay, so I can write one on travel tips to, you know, fill in the blank, this city in Iceland. Um, So that can help inform you. But at the same time, there's a lot you don't see. So you might not know what extra SEO tools they have installed or if they're, if they hired out a service and you're by yourself, you know, that's going to make a big difference in the time. The other thing is if this website has been around 10 years and just has consistently awesome traffic, you can't do anything about that. You just want to make your website the best it is. So I would say, look at other people's websites for the amount of time you can look at it strictly as research. But if you start comparing, if you start getting frustrated, then just click away because that's not going to help you. You just want to make your website the best it can be. So yes, I would do competitor research, but especially if you're prone to kind of getting in the weeds of like, oh, they're doing this so much better or something like that. I would literally set a timer, do the research and then be done. So it doesn't become an obsession because you can't completely mimic their website. And so there's no reason to get that frustrated about it. Right. No, that makes, that makes sense for sure. Um, what, what about, uh, Google analytics? What can you tell us about how to use that tool for SEO? So much. Um, I wish I could see everyone. Cause I want to be like, all right, who has like Google analytics or something like it installed? And I feel like <laughs> raise your hand if you have Google analytics. Yes. I think everybody <laughs> would raise their hand or almost everybody. And then I'd say, do you ever check it? Or do you know what to look at? And probably we get a lot of hands put down. It just, it's one of those things you log in, you're like, okay, my website visitors are up this month. Cool. Great. And then you gotta, you know, (laughs) log out and go away. And then you go the next month and they're down. You're like, dang it. And then you don't know what to do. So there's several things to look at with Google Analytics. And I'll kind of run through these. But you can definitely either do more research or just use these as kind of a framework to build off of. um, Because obviously, there's going to be dozens of things that I don't mention as well. So these are just some big things to look at. So one of my favorite pieces in Google Analytics to look at is your most popular content or your most popular pages. And that's going to be kind of under the site traffic category. So you want to look at that for two reasons. You want to see what people are finding on your website and why they are gravitating towards your website. And then the other thing is if they're going to a particular page on your website or a blog post, and it's say 12 years old, but it's got awesome information. You want to make sure that is updated, not only for the people who are viewing it, but also to show Google like, hey, I'm here. This content is still relevant. And so that can inform both presently what you're doing as far as updating, but also future posts. If you see like, wow, my photography tip blogs or this particular page or this area, man, it's really popping up to the top then that'll get, kind of get your mind going in the future. Like, all right, let me create more, more content like that 
And then you can link to that content into in your already popular posts. So if people are already going to this page a whole ton, then just add in some extra links like here's the next step or here's, mm -hmm. you know, another place I went to in that area. And so it can really build on itself. So I would say that's the biggest thing. If you do nothing else, look at what content is really hitting the mark. And then there's a couple other things that I like. Um, you can look kind of related to this. You can look at what searches people are using to get on your website. Um, this metric is a little bit, it's not always 100% because Google doesn't always know exactly what people search for, um, especially if they came from somewhere else. But that's that's just a good thing. So if you see that they're searching for like, where is the best photography workshop in Iceland and they're hitting your page, awesome. Or if they're searching for something really random that has nothing to do with you and that's how they're finding you, you might want to just look at that content and kind of update it a little bit and see, you know, where you can hone in a little bit more. So that's kind of content related. And then there's two other metrics. There's bounce rate and then the time spent on your pages. Bounce rate, especially a lot of people don't know about. Um, and it's usually a pretty high number. <laughs> right? Basically, it means, yeah, people are like, what is 90% like an A or an F? 90% um, is not great. You can you can get better, but it's not great. Um, the higher the number, the more you want to improve. That. I'll say it that way. That's my PC way of saying it. Um, so the bounce rate is the number or the per percentage of people who go to your website and navigate away after only viewing one page. And so sometimes this is okay. Like if they're coming for buying a particular product and they buy it and then they're gone, great. If they're just like reading a recap, you know, if it's your mom reading a recap of your latest travels she's probably not going to then scroll through your website that she's seen 15,000 times. That's fine. Um, but overall, you really want people to come to your website and stay on it, which really signals value to Google. And so you want a lower bounce rate. You don't want 95% of people who land on your website mm -hmm. to click away immediately. How's this looking? My bounce rate is 63%. Hey, you know what? That's good. I, I was trying to look up average bounce rates and it varies wildly depending on the industry. Oh, right. But the average I saw was generally 45 to 65%. Okay. That makes sense. So you're hitting the market there. Um, <laughs> so there's a couple things you can do to improve bounce rate. One thing is just to improve the user experience, uh, make your content readable, relevant, add links. I kind of mentioned this earlier. So if you have um, a series on something or if you have like, hey, this is a blog about, you know, Colorado in the fall. And then, you know, a year ago, you wrote about Colorado in the spring. Maybe you want to put that link somewhere in your blog or at the bottom. So people kind of have a, oh, here's where I can go next. I'm already interested. So let me see a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So adding links to your website and making sure your menus are really clear up top. And then another thing you can do is having a clear call to action. So if people go to your website and, for instance, you have like a subscribe to newsletter up at the top or in the sidebar or something, if they subscribe to the newsletter, guess what? That's a click and that takes down your bounce rate. So uh, having just a really easy funnel for people to go to and take a next step, whether that's viewing more content, signing up for something, watching a video, anything to just keep them on your website, then that'll really help. So how do you figure out what your most popular pages are on analytics? So um, I can't remember the exact name for it, but if you go to the left bar and you scroll down, it has a bunch of, it has behaviors, which is generally 
Um, I was gonna say, is it a acquisition or is it behavior? Acquisition. It's probably under behaviors without me pulling it up right now and making a bunch of typing sounds. Acquisition <laughs> is gonna be where your people are coming from, and so that's gonna kind of touch on the search phrases and words that they're using to get to you, or are they coming through social media? Are they directly typing in your website? So that's kind of what that will show you. I believe behavior will show the most popular content. Yeah, the overview. I see it. If you dig down a little bit. Yep. Okay, cool. Nice. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So those those things will help. Um, don't, just don't get overwhelmed. Don't feel like you have to look at every single stat in Google Analytics. Just look at those few things and that'll just really go a long way to help you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I've had... I've had it set up for a long time. I just, I don't tend to spend a lot of time looking at it, although now I probably will again. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're very (laughs) welcome. I mean, and you don't have to spend a ton of time for sure. Um, Just, you know, again, 15 minutes once a week, just take a look and you might be surprised and that might spur you on or you might say, okay, great, cool, I'm moving on. But at least you know and at least you can take action on it. Well, I think what I like about it too is you can change the date ranges and you know, make it a little less overwhelming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So what about uh, blogging? I know a lot of people write blogs. Um, I don't spend a ton of time writing blogs myself, although I try to and I get a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, how how does blogging help with SEO? Um, I am pretty biased towards blogging. I Part of my story is that I was able to get my photography website on page one of Google and man, that made a world of difference in my business. Um, And I mainly did that through blogging and then sharing it on social media, which helped to get more people on my website, which makes it rank higher. It's a whole, you know, it's a whole kind of machine that feeds itself. However, I know not everyone, I know that's not everyone's thing. So I would say if you can do it, even if it's once a month, it does a couple different things. First of all, it kind of adds into keywords. So, you know, you're not going to fit every keyword ever just on your homepage or just on your about me, but having a blog just gives you a lot of depth. And so you can talk about, you know, photography in Colorado or photography tips without having 15 different pages on your website. So that really helps with depth of keywords. Um, It also keeps people on your website longer and drives them to your website. So when they see new content, they're going to go over to your website versus if they're not seeing new content and updates, they don't really have a reason to go unless they already know you and need you or happen to find you. And then the other thing is it signal every time you update your website, whether you write a new blog or you just update the content, again, you're just signaling to Google that you are fresh and relevant because Google moves really fast. They make hourly updates to their SEO um, so it's changing all the time and they want to know that they're not promoting these archived websites that are useless or they mm-hmm. aren't being updated or they're kind of forgotten. And so every time you hit the save button, publish, update, whatever platform you're using, it's telling Google like, hey, I'm still here. I'm paying attention. You know, so blogging really helps with that. Um, I used to blog gosh, three or four times a week. And I went down from there to like once or twice a week, but I still just try to keep it relevant and fresh or go back in and update old posts if I don't have anything else to write about at the current time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are you, are you spending a lot of time trying to tie those blog posts and that content to relevant keywords that you want to drive traffic to your site with? 
I, I do. I used to just um, blog a lot more freehand and I wrote a lot more personal stuff, especially when I was first starting out. Um, and that was great for the time, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I almost know too much now to do that. Um, I still do write personal posts, <laughs> but I definitely, at least just a few minutes, at least just do a quick Google search of the topic that I'm looking at and scroll to the bottom, like I mentioned, just to see, because a lot of times I'll think, oh, wow, that's something of value that I can talk about if people are asking that question. And honestly, it might even add to the content of the post, even separate from keywords, it just might make my post better. Um, so yeah, I definitely always try to do at least a few minutes of keyword research and it's really helpful in letting people find you. Um, but even if you don't feel like you have the bandwidth for that or the capacity for that, blogging in general is just a great way to drive traffic to your website, both organically by sharing through Google. Um, so if you, if keyword research intimidates you or you feel like you don't have the time, but you feel like you can blog, then just go for it. And it took me years to start doing research every time I wrote a blog. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, wh- what about uh, like, I don't know if you ever have had this happen, but I don't know, like maybe once or twice a month, I'll get someone that emails me and says, hey, can I write a guest blog on your site? Um, <laughs> what do you think about those types yeah. of things? Um, I have never let anybody guest blog on my site, but at the same time, my brand is very personal. And so that's a little bit different. Um, I think it can be really helpful, but I think you just have to be careful um, not to let your blog get overrun by people, unless that's what you want. I mean, Matt, for you, you're getting a bunch of voices on this podcast. So maybe that would be something that would benefit you. Um, But there's also a lot of companies and people that kind of want to take advantage of you. And so you just have to be really careful and vet out who you're letting write on your mm-hmm. blog. Um, I would say it's helpful in that you might expand to a new audience if they're going to share your blog um, with their audience who might not currently follow you. And it's also helpful if you're kind of, I've, I've asked people to guest blog before. Um, I've never said yes to someone reaching out to me, but I've specifically asked like, hey, can you write about this one topic? Mm. Um, like I asked a couple of wedding planners specifically to do um, blog posts about, you know, how to plan a spring wedding in Hampton Roads, which is very specific. I don't know what I'm talking about with planning weddings, (laughs) but that's another thing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's another thing people are going to search for and come across my blog. And so I think doing it strategically can be great. But all of these companies, like I know there's a stationary company that contacts me all the time. And I'm not going to, for me personally, I'm not going to let them right on my website because they're a big enough company that I know it's only going to help them. It's not going to help me because it's going to give them links to their content, but they're not going to do anything for me. They're not going to share it. They're not going to give me backlinks on their website. So I think it can be mutually beneficial, but you have to be really careful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've heard um, other photographers, you've probably never heard of this website, but there's a website called Petapixel. And it's, um, yes, I know that website. Okay. It's, um, I don't know, like it kind of has a bad reputation just because a lot of the articles that get published there, like clickbait and stuff like that. But, um, right. I know, I do know that there are photographers out there that specifically try to get articles published on those big websites like that, just for SEO purposes. Yeah. And if I'm, I mean, if you're talking about you blogging on other people's website, like, yes, go for it. Right. I think that can be so powerful. Um, even if they don't share a ton, 
you're still getting your name out there. You might get bigger invites and you're, you know, helping SEO. So if you're, if they're giving you a context where you give backlinks to your website, like a hundred percent do it. I'm just wary of letting other people use my blog for their own gain, unless it's like a, Hey, you guest blog this month and then I'll guest blog next month. And you guys are kind of helping each other out. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's my mm -hmm. word of caution. But yeah, I mean, if you can blog for somebody else and get your name out there, like go for it. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about another fun, unsolicited thing that I think a lot of us experience from time to time. Um, I think <laughs> so many, so many options. I know it happens to me probably twice or uh, it's a lot, <laughs> but basically yeah. people reach out to me and say, Hey, we noticed that you don't rank number one on Google for these search terms and we can make you rank number one on Google for the price of $377. Um, right. Like, what are your thoughts on those SEO services? What are my thoughts? Oh man, so many. <laughs> um, here's the thing is that I cannot guarantee that you will get on page one of Google and literally nobody can guarantee that. And the, the thing that happened is Years ago, Google really used to look at what I refer to as backlinks. And I apologize because I didn't define that term in the beginning, but that's basically links on either somebody else's website that link back to your website, or if you're putting links in your own content that links to other pages on your website. So that used to be, that's what backlinks are. That used to be a huge factor in Google. And so what people used to do is they would hire these SEO gurus and companies to go out and just like, rapid fire their website everywhere so they may like comment on you know hundreds of blogs in a week oh right or um submit it to all these directories i actually did this this is this part isn't shady is there there's a ton of online directories that just like list businesses and that used to be really helpful with seo and so those were some things that people could do to help your seo the problem was a lot of them did end up being shady and illegitimate And just not, you know, it's one thing to have a natural backlink where you're blogging for someone and they've asked you, it's another thing to spam their website or have a bunch of basically fake websites with a bunch of links to your website. You know, a lot of these people didn't know what they were hiring for. And so I don't want to say everyone contacting you about that is going to do something shady. But number one, they cannot promise you page one on Google because the people that got to page one using the backlinks very quickly got blacklisted and like we're not even on the Google search after Google realized, you know, this is kind of shady. And so they changed it. So if they're guaranteeing that, that should be a red flag. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you just need to, you need to look at their website. You need to see what they've done. You need to see what their SEO is like. If they're doing all these things, if they're using meta titles and if they're using URL tags and they have these, you know, 15 clients who've really seen an improvement and you can tell it's trustworthy and you want to invest, that's great. Um, I'm a personal believer in just kind of diving in deep yourself and putting in the time over time. I never spent 10 hours or, you know, I, I would never sent like 40 hours aside just to do SEO. I just kind of put in, you know, like an hour or two a week um, at most and just kind of created consistent content. And I ended up on page one just because I was authentic about it and created good content and created new content a lot. And so you don't have to hire them. Be very careful who you hire and don't trust anyone who says they can give you this particular result because nobody can promise that unless it's like, who's the owner of Google or Alphabet? (laughs) If he promises that, like, go for it. 
three hundred dollars a month done. Like that's fine. Nobody uh, else though. It's funny uh, when you were talking about that. I I got to thinking about all of the uh, spam comments that I've had to delete over the years. Yeah, and it's like and it's always know. like it's always like they link to some jackasses website that has nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with the, the topic yep. you know it's yep a hundred percent and it doesn't work anymore um especially backlinks are still helpful but they're not they don't hold the position they did before especially but especially with blog comments and those actually hold zero value anymore oh, okay um <laughs> so that doesn't mean you never comment on someone else's blog but please don't use it as a strategy. Like that's just a waste of your time. And like you said, it's very obnoxious to the people who are like, why are you putting this random website on there? You know? Right. So (laughs) don't do that. Worst practices instead of best practices. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. (laughs) Well, so what are some other uh, SEO tools that, that are in your, your toolbox in terms of doing research and staying, staying on top of kind of where your site uh, ranks and, and things of that nature? Um, so I will mention two, and one of them I sort of mentioned before, um, Moz, M-O-Z dot com is hands down to me the best SEO um, guide out there. They're constantly putting out content. They're really staying on top of the Google game. Um, I, I was thinking about this yesterday because I knew I would recommend them. I don't think I've ever bought anything from them. And so it's not one of those where it's like, okay, well, you get in with Moz and you're spending $50 a month. And, you know, they just provide a lot of really seller free content. And they do have some paid options as well, if you want to look into that. Um, But they're just staying really atop current Google trends. And so I do, I read their newsletter pretty religiously, especially if it has anything to do with me, which most of the time it does. I would say if you're if you're interested and you have the time subscribing to their newsletter is has been super helpful. Um, for me, and they will recommend other people on products and tools as well. Um, so that's one that I would recommend. And then another one, I kind of created a really good, simple resource for people who are either just getting started with SEO or don't quite understand it, or maybe they kind of get it a little bit, but they're really not sure, like, okay, I understand it's important, but I don't know, like, what's the first few steps I have to take. And so I've covered a lot of that here, but if you really just want it written down in good form in front of you that you can refer back to, if you go to my website, if you go to google.mariagracellc.com, you can download what I call my top five quick and easy strategies to master Google. And it's just five simple things. I've mentioned a bunch of them here, but it'll kind of lay it out for you exactly what you should do and make it much less overwhelming. So like I said, just go to google.mariagracellc.com. It's a free download. You can have it, and if you have any questions, you can definitely. Go cool. Yeah, we'll definitely there. link it in the liner notes as well. Have you ever used a website called um, ahrefs.com? No, but I do recognize that HTML tag. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast about SEO. Gosh, it was almost a year ago now, but um, it apparently they use what they used it for, um, which I thought was super interesting was um they they basically it creates a list that you can see what your competitors are linking to or what okay yeah or what who's linking to your competitors and then you can contact them to see if they would link to you which i know that you were saying like backlinks aren't as helpful but 
I thought that was kind of an interesting tip that I picked up through through that one as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I know Moz has a similar tool um, to that because it is helpful to see what other people, both what they're linking to and also, again, just kind of going back to content because really, really content is number one. You can even see like, okay, they're linking to this. What kind of content are creating? Are they creating for that? What's what's helping their SEO? And so I can I think that can help you on multiple levels, even if you contact them and they say no, or you're like, ah, I don't really want to be featured on their website. You can at least look at the content and be informed from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another tool that I had written down when I listened to this podcast episode was um, SEM Rush. Yes, yes. Heard of that one? Um, yeah, they it's. It's been a little while since I've been there. I don't use it frequently, really. I use Moz for like 99% of everything SEO related. And then I do other research on a variety of places. SEM Rush, from what I remember, they have some free resources that are similar to Moz. Like I think they have a keyword explorer. They, I didn't end up staying on their website as much because they push more of their product, which is not a bad thing. Like sure. I know they have a really awesome product, um, but I was just not into paying for it right Um, but i know they're a super great resource and i've definitely read a lot of their stuff and so yeah i would i would 100 check it out i i used to read a lot on seo and i do less not because i don't have stuff to learn but because i kind of have the basics down and so i want more advanced strategies but they were definitely a website i went to in the beginning that makes sense yeah cool do you want to also mention, didn't you have, you had something else on your website, the top five quick and easy SEO tools? Yeah, I mentioned that before. The if the google.mariagracellc.com was the download that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's that one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure we covered it for you. Awesome. Well, Maria Grace, who do you uh, think our listeners would be interested to hear from on the podcast? Man, that's a hard question. I was telling Matt, I I always have trouble being put on the spot. Like, tell me the one thing you would do before you die. I'm like, no, I have to do all the things. Um, I mean, I I personally, well, Tyler McCall, I, you know, he would be a pretty um, big name, but I think he's really helpful if you're talking about specifically Instagram strategy. Um, I listen to Jasmine Starr a lot. Um, she actually just launched her own podcast, but I know she's been a guest. And again, she's another bigger name, but she teaches um, social media strategy, which kind of intertwines with marketing strategy. So that's really helpful. And then this is one more that I'll mention. And I don't know how many people are interested in this. I was so not interested in LinkedIn at all. I just thought like, okay, if I ever, ever want to go back to a desk job, which currently I do not then I will get on LinkedIn and like maybe throw out my resume. Um, but I listened to someone called Brittany Crystal and man, she has a killer LinkedIn strategy and she really gets it. And I started following her um, and she just creates awesome content and just opened my eyes to how since LinkedIn is not this big thing that everyone uses all the time, they really like new content and they really promote you just like Facebook did in the good old days when you could like get more than two likes on your pictures. Yeah. Um, they're kind of in that phase of really trying to grow. And so she just really convinced me of the value and showed some good strategies. So she would be awesome as well. Yeah. Just opening people's eyes to what LinkedIn can do. I know I sound really old when I say that, but once you listen to her, you're like, Oh my gosh, like ditch Facebook and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. So yeah. No, I think helpful. LinkedIn is a, I think LinkedIn is a gold mine that people haven't tapped into yet. 
personally. It is. It is. And I still am not consistent. I try. I try. It doesn't work. I I don't have a good strategy for for starters, but um, I I can totally see like the untapped potential. I just haven't quite figured out how to tap it yet. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm I'm definitely still working on it, but she kind of pointed out, she said, on what other platform can you literally go and like find the CEO of Pepsi and interact with them? Now you're probably interacting with their assistant, but Still. that's kind of the gist. Like are there local businesses in your area you want to connect with? Like you can literally find everyone who works for them on LinkedIn and interact with them. You can't do that on Facebook or Instagram. Like you just, you just can't. So that's just like a little nugget that she shared. And I was like, Oh, like totally blown away. I just never thought about it in that way. Yeah, I know uh, a friend of mine that I used to go out and take pictures and hike with is really good at LinkedIn. He actually, um, he's actually the director of marketing for an email uh, marketing company called uh, BombBomb. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and he he like does a weekly podcast um, all about, uh, it's all about like digital marketing and email and video and stuff like that but um he kills it on linkedin like it's pretty interesting That's awesome. yeah have it, you had him on your podcast yet i haven't i probably should his name's ethan butte if, if anyone's interested. well there you go ethan butte that is my number one recommendation <laughs> <laughs> recommendation for your next podcast guest you're welcome <laughs> That's funny. I'm going to look him up. That's that's really cool. No, he's cool. Well, awesome. Maria, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on SEO. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And I just hope people had a great takeaway from it. So yeah, I, I would love to hear what your takeaways are. If you do want to find me on Instagram, um, I'm at Maria Grace LLC. And I promise I won't spam you with direct messages because clearly <laughs> I am still working on my strategy. But yeah, I'd really love to hear if you had a takeaway or even a question and you just don't know how it applies to you. Seriously, I will share anything and help anyone as much as I possibly can. So definitely let me know if you have any questions. Cool. Yeah, no, I've I've heard that the fans of the podcast are not shy when it comes to reaching out. So Okay, well, I do have a job, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I would love it if people reached out because, yeah, it's it's a different thing to speak into a microphone versus taking a picture or posting on a page. So if you guys learned anything, I would love to hear about it. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Have a great evening. You too. All right. Well, thanks to Maria for joining us on the podcast. I had a really wonderful time speaking with you on the show. Listeners, if you need help with search engine optimization on your website, I would highly recommend you reach out to Maria for some help. All right, well, let's thank our recent patrons for their support of the podcast. Thank you to Ryan Fonker for supporting us at the $5 a month level. Thanks to John Whitaker for increasing your pledge this month. I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks to Jim Valencourt for your generous pledge of $20 a month. You are highly appreciated, sir. And thanks to Julie McNally for your $5 a month pledge. 
All right. Well, speaking of Patreon, uh, I promised, gosh, two years ago now, I think, that once we hit $1,000 a month, that we would do a Landscape Conservation Award. And uh, that time is coming up. Uh, there's only a couple more weeks left to nominate a photographer for the $1,500 Landscape Photography Conservation Award. And I am actively seeking help in judging the nominations. So please, please, please reach out if you are interested just send me an email at matt at mattpainphotography.com or you can find details in the liner notes. Um, I wanted to thank our sponsors of the Landscape uh, Photography Conservation Award. Uh, first up is Shimoda Designs. They are donating a camera bag, a core unit, and a roller accessory case. Uh, Read Art and Imaging is donating a $500 credit towards the purchase of an acrylic print. Uh, Tamron is donating a 45mm lens. Uh, Viewbug is donating a Pro Plus membership. And QT Luong is donating a limited edition copy of his award-winning photo book, Treasured Lands. Uh, thank you to everyone on Patreon who is making that award possible. I really, really appreciate you. And if you guys want to give back to some of our patrons that are pledging at the $20 a month level or higher, just go to mattpainphotography.com, click on the link at the top where it says podcast, and you'll see a link to the websites of the people who are supporting the podcast, and you can support them as well. All right, well, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. I'm really excited to announce some of our upcoming guests and episodes. Uh, next up, we have Jeff Bartlett. He is a photographer from Alberta, Canada. Um, we've got Jonathan Tilly. He is a personal branding marketing expert. Uh, we have Toby Harriman. He's a aerial photographer living in Alaska and San Francisco. Uh, Michael Strickland, a film photographer specializing in panoramic photography. Uh, Luca Isenko, a photographer based in Slovenia. Brenda Tharp, a photographer from Sonoma County, California. Uh, May Zhu, a photographer based in Denver, Colorado. Jerry Greer, a photographer from the Appalach Appalachian Mountains. Uh, Nikki Rauch, uh, a sales coach. And lastly, Christian Fletcher, a photographer from Australia. Um, and we also have a really awesome roundtable discussion coming up with Guy Tal and a lot of others on photography education. All right. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.